Good morning, Transformation Radio listeners. We've got song, scripture, and part one of a sermon from Pastor Wes Thompson from Veritas West today on our show. And uh, we'll start today off with Great Are You, Lord, from All Sons and Daughters.
And our New Testament reading today comes from Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 41. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time, when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house, naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus, to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers, believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely, and it had a powerful effect. Afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achai before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go on to Rome. He sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia, while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together along with other employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that homemade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's doing this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned about the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence, and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess, worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. At this, their anger boiled, and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers would not let him in. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Inside, the people were all shouting, some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motioned for silence and tried to speak, but when the crowd realized he was a Jew, they started shouting again and kept it up for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! At last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, Everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken against our goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session and the officials can hear their case at once. Let them make formal charges, and if there are complaints about other matters, they can be settled in a legal assembly. I am afraid we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government, since there is no cause for all this commotion, and if Roman Rome demands an explanation, we don't know what to say. And he dismissed them, and they disappeared. All right. Well, we're going to be in Proverbs. I'm going to pray, but if you want to grab your Bible, we're going to be the, the really anchored in Proverbs 10, 16 today. 
And so we're going to be talking, we're in Proverbs. There's really no other way to preach Proverbs, go through Proverbs other than do it topically. And so we're jumping around, but today we're talking about sex. And so uh, let's pray together for that, all right? So pray with me. Father, thank you uh, that we get to gather together and that we, uh, we are your children and that you are our God. And I pray that that would be something that we experience in a real way this morning. We just invite you, God, to be the Lord of our life. Um, we, we are in need of a Savior. We make a crummy God, and we're just in need of you. So I pray that as we look to your word, that you would, that you would open up something in our heart that desires you, and that we would realize that we're in need. And I just pray, God, that with a topic like this, that we would um, that we'd be wise, and that we'd learn, and that we'd grow, and that we'd confess, and that we'd rejoice. And so we just praise you, and we love you in your name. Amen. So we're talking about sex. I believe um, Christian sexual ethics would be one of the primary rejections of Christianity today. I, I think that out of all the things, when it comes to Christian sexuality, um, most people are just like, I, I don't want anything to do with that. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis, great Christian thinker over 60 years ago, he wrote that chastity, or the practice of refraining from sex, is the most unpopular of the Christian virtues. And if he said that 60 years ago, I would imagine that the same is true, if not multiplied more so today. And I think here's the, here's the interesting thing as we, as we kind of begin talking about this. I know that many of you feel really uncomfortable right now that we're having this discussion. And yet, you and I are bombarded on a daily basis everywhere we go. Every media um, item that you consume, you're bombarded with sexuality. You're bombarded with it. And so I want us to start off with a question and for us to begin to think back. When was the first time in your life that you were presented with the idea of sex? And if you're young, it's probably a little easier. If you're older, maybe you've got to think hard. But when, when in your life were you first presented with the idea of sex? And unfortunately, I would bet, I would bet 100 bucks that the majority of you, if not all of you, did not learn about sex from your parents. I bet most of you um, didn't hear about sex from someone who was describing it through a biblical lens, right? And so that presents some problems. That presents some, some conundrums. I'm just going to be honest. Personally, the first time I can remember hearing about sex, I was in an after-school program, and I was probably in first grade. Um, a child was describing this to me, which... I didn't know how to process that. I didn't even begin to know what to think about that. The first time that I was introduced to pornography was when I stayed at my cousin's house, who was six years older than me, and I would have been maybe nine years old. It's crazy. It's crazy. And I think if this topic, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, probably, I mean, probably because we have kids, we have to think about raising kids. Listen, I think that the worst thing we can do is to not talk about this. And it doesn't matter, I think, how crazy we can get at trying to protect those in our care. You know, that term helicopter parenting, now we try to just, try to, especially if you're a parent, you kind of know, like, try to control and protect and make sure that harm doesn't come. But, but listen, 
our kids are going to be faced with the depravity of our over-sexualized culture. I hate it, but it's true. And so the question is, are we as parents, as grandparents, as singles, are we going to model sexual purity to the younger generations? So we've got, there's generations in here that you're older than me. Model for me. And let's model for each other. Are we going to train those around us well? Are we going to have the courage to tackle this terribly uncomfortable and difficult issue? I hope so. I pray so. My daughter's being raised in this madness. I was raised in in a church environment that mostly ignored this kind of stuff. Kind of out of sight, out of mind, or it was just kind of the flippant, that's bad, don't do it kind of thing. And we can't, I'm convinced we can't respond that way. We, we must discuss these issues, and probably a lot more boldly than I'm even prepared to do so this morning, but hopefully it's a start. And so another question that, we, uh, that I'm trying to begin with, that I wrestled with, is, 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 and this is Kevin DeYoung, who's a pastor, he kind of proposes this in, in his book, um, The Hole in Our Holiness. He says, how do we pursue holiness in a hookup world? How do we pursue holiness in a hookup world? And what he's getting at is how do we try to live biblically? How do we live in a way that glorifies God with our sexuality in a, in a climate that that's not even a category? So just for clarity's sake, Pastor Kevin DeYoung, he writes this. And this will get all of us, right? Unmarried Christians, the general rule is this. Don't do with another guy or girl what you wouldn't do with your brother or sister. Let's just let that sink in for a minute. Unmarried Christians, the general rule is this. Don't do with another guy or girl what you wouldn't do with your brother or sister. Now, I'm not going to pick on you. Unmarried folks, unmarried Christians, listen, your sexuality, I want you to hear that. Your sexuality is for your spouse. This rules out fantasy, lusting after other women in thought, pornography. And again, this is completely countercultural. I get that. I don't live under a rock. I get that, but it's biblical. So if we're looking at the Bible and what the Bible presents us with, this is what we're presented with. We can't spin it. We can't soften it. We can't change it. And so DeYoung, he goes on, he says, the bottom line is you're not married until you're married. And if you're on your way to marriage, instead of acting more married than single, consider getting married sooner so you don't have to act single any longer. Now, regarding sexuality, I think we would all to some degree agree with the fact that our culture has lost its mind. Our culture has lost, and the church isn't far behind. The church isn't far behind. Frankly, I hate this. Frankly, most men I talk to, and maybe it's just because of where where I hang out and who I interact with, but most men I talk to struggle with porn addiction to some degree or the other. Let's just be honest. Most, most men I talk to struggle with porn addiction to some degree or another. Sociologists have commented, as I've read articles, sociologists have commented that the next generation, they they use the language of the next generation is going to be raised on pornography. That it's just going to be part of their daily digest. This should make us lament. This should make us sad. Premarital sex, when it comes to that, I would guess there's a handful of you in this room that have had premarital sex this week. 
Divorce happens as often in Christian communities as it does outside of them. Culturally, promiscuous sex is celebrated. It's even promoted. And I want to, before we move on any further, I want to I just tell you what the emphasis of today is going to be. Um, the emphasis today is going to be on biblical sexual ethics, biblical sexual purity. I'm not going to go into gender roles, identity issues, or same-sex attraction specifically. I'm not afraid to do that. I just don't want to skim these issues and fail to do them justice. I don't want to overgeneralize and just touch things and then move on. Um, we're going to talk about biblical sex ethics in general, okay? And so the Bible calls us to purity. Let's look at Proverbs ten sixteen. Proverbs ten sixteen. the writer says, The wage of the righteous leads to life. The gain of the wicked to sin. And as I kind of picked an anchor verse in the Proverbs for this morning, there's something about that verse that really resonates with my soul. It resonates with me. When it comes to sexual sin, we have to first realize, listen, we first have to realize that sex is not a bad thing. Sex is not a bad thing. Sex is a gift, and it's to be enjoyed. And you need to hear that. Sex is a gift from God, and sex is good, biblically. But like any good thing, it can be used in the wrong way. When sex is used in the wrong way, outside of bounds of marriage between a man and a woman, it becomes something that, rather than being life-giving, leads to brokenness. We see this, so, so let's look at Genesis 2, 22 and 25. We can't, we can't not bring this into, um, into our focus um, when we're talking about this, because we see we first have to ask, how were we created? And we see this in Genesis 2. Verse 22 says, And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Verse 23, Then the man said, This at last is the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and what? And were not ashamed. So this is how, this is how we were created. This is the essence or nature of how men and women were created. In this picture, what do we see? God brought the man or God brought the woman to the man. We see this. There, there's, this, there's this just so beautiful, unique, kind of mysterious unifying of persons. This is the bone of my bones, the flesh of my flesh. Beautiful language. There's this idea of a covenant relationship, meaning I am not going anywhere. I am with you. I am for you. I commit. It's dense, deep language of covenant. of what our culture knows not much of. I'm yours and you are mine. The text says, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. See, God is giving the man and woman a glimpse into the nature of God's relationship. We know that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. God exists in a community of sacrificial love. 
And this relationship between man and woman is meant to be an expression of that. And I love the ending. What's it say? Both were naked and were not ashamed. Both were naked and were not ashamed. Sex, when it's used in the right way, brings about unity and joy and a deepening of relationships. Sex, when used the wrong way, brings about shame. I'm going to say that one more time because I want, I want us to realize that this is more than just do this and don't do this. Sex, when it's used the right way, brings about unity, joy, and a deepening of relationship. Sex always, when it's used the wrong way, it brings about just ontologically in our sense of being, how we experience life. Sex used the wrong way, it brings about a sense of shame. So we see how this plays out within the creation narrative found in Genesis. And so let's look at our, our kind of our, our anchor text today. Proverbs ten sixteen again, it says, The wage of the righteous. Righteous meaning rightness, like God. The wage of the righteous leads to life. The gain of the wicked to sin. And this resonates because we see how righteousness leads to life when it comes to sexuality. When you utilize sex in the proper way it was intended, it leads to life. Conversely, the opposite is true when we pervert sexuality. This is why premarital sex leads to more loneliness, not feelings of belonging and fulfillment. This is why premarital sex or, or just fornication or, or, or just sexual immorality that the Bible uses a lot, a lot would, leads to relational strain rather than unity. This is why sexual immorality leads to confusion rather than clarity. Leads to feeling distanced from God rather than near to Him. And I just want to, there's so many more verses, but I'm going to read probably like four, I think four blocks of text right here because I want us to see the biblical emphasis on sexual purity. That it's not just a flippant passerby kind of thing. There's a, there's a massive emphasis 1 Corinthians 6.13 says, Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is meant not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Romans 1.24, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Galatians 5.19, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, so on and so forth. And then lastly, for me, probably one of the most um, helpful and yet convicting verses comes from 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. Please just read this with me. I hope it sinks in. It says, for this is the will of God. A lot of us, we want to know in church, like, what's God's will for my life? Well, here we see. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, you becoming like Jesus, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like non-believers, Gentiles, who do not know God. Six, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. 
What's, what's Paul saying? That God, justice will be had. Maybe not tomorrow, but justice will be had. God, the Lord's an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Seven, for God, listen to this. Let this sink in. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Eight, therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And this is what makes me feel a little more uncomfortable up here because I'm a fellow struggler just like you. But, but listen, as we see in eight, you're not disregarding me or disregarding the church. Whoever disregards this disregards God. And we'll continue the sermon from Wes Thompson tomorrow. Uh, we'll continue on today with our scripture reading and finish today off with DC Talk with What If I Stumble. Thanks for joining us today on Transformation Radio, and we'll see you tomorrow. And our reading from Psalm today comes from Psalm 147, verses 1 through 20. Praise the Lord. How good to sing the praise praises of our God. How delightful and how fitting. The Lord is rebuilding Jerusalem and bringing the exiles back to Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. He counts the stars and calls them all by name. How great is our Lord. His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. The Lord supports the humble, and he brings the wicked down into the dust. Sing out your thanks to the Lord. Sing praises to our God with a harp. He covers the heavens with clouds, provides rain for the earth, and makes the grass grow in mountain pastures. He gives food to the wild animals and feeds the young ravens when they cry. He takes no pleasure in the strength of a horse or in human might. No, the Lord's delight is in those who fear him, those who put their hope in his unfailing love. Glorify the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates and blessed your children with your walls. He sends peace across your nation and satisfies your hunger with the finest wheat. He sends his orders to the world. How swiftly the word flies. He sends the snow like white wool. He scatters frost upon the ground like ashes. He hurls the hail like stones. Who can stand before the freezing cold? Then at his command it all melts. He sends his winds and the ice thaws. He has revealed his words to Jacob, his decrees and regulations to Israel. He has not done this for any other nation. They do not know his regulation. Praise the Lord. And our reading from Proverbs is Proverbs 18, verses 4 and 5. Wise words are like deep waters. Wisdom flows from the wise like a bubbling brook. It is not right to acquit the guilty or deny justice to the innocent. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians, who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Your love in there.
Did they see the 